Here's what we are talking about tonight. Hold on. I have a question for you guys tonight. Are you a Dr. Jekyll or are you a Mr. Hyde? Mr. Hyde. I'm Mr. Hyde. Okay, okay. Before we get too far into it, how many of you, because I know this was on the summer reading list for some of you, how many of you read this this year for your summer reading list? So you guys are familiar with the story. Somewhat familiar. How many of you... Decent movie, doesn't give you the whole story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It is sick. It is When you got that big muscular guy running around as Mr. Hyde, it's kind of cool. How many of you have no idea what this story's about? I'm asking you if you are Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde, but if you are going to answer that question, you first of all have to listen. Second of all, you need to know what the story's about. For those of you who have not read this story, and I know why most of you picked it off the summer reading list, because it's a very short story. It's a very short book. It's written by a guy named Robert Louis Stevenson. And he wrote this book. As you read it, you find out about this guy named Dr. Jekyll and this other guy named Mr. Hyde. Now, Dr. Jekyll, he is, he is a respectable doctor. He is this guy that's into science. He can make things. He can do all kinds of stuff. And as you start reading the story, what you see is you see that Dr. Jekyll has made this potion. He's, he's put some stuff together. He's made this drink. And when he drinks this drink, it turns him into Mr. Hyde. It turns him into this alter ego. And as you continue to read the story, you start to find out that Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde are pretty much complete opposites of each other. Where you've got Dr. Jekyll, who's this respectable doctor and, and this, this well-mannered man. On the other hand, you've got Mr. Hyde, who basically has no inhibi inhibitions whatsoever. He likes to do whatever he wants, say whatever he wants, do whatever he wants to people. And the interesting thing is, as you read this story, you start to understand that Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, even though you never see them at the same time, they are one man. They occupy the same body. You've got two personalities Two completely different people in the same body. Kind of. Except evil. You've got two people occupying the same body. And, and here's, here's the weird thing, guys. They're aware of each other. Now, in the medical community, people have actually compared Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde to the whole idea of schizophrenia and the different personalities. But a lot of times when people are schizophrenic, the different personalities aren't aware of each other. Here in this story, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, they know what's going on. Yes. Kind of. Kind of like Smeagol. Yes. Uh, let's bring it a little more modern for you guys. Yes. Are you Smeagol or Gullum? We'll go with that one. Yeah. But here's what I find interesting about this story. Here's what I find interesting about this story. Is that whether we realize it or not, Every single one of us, we're in the same situation as Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. There's two people living in us. There's two personalities. And depending on what's going on in our life, depending on the experiences we're having and the relationships we have, that determines which one of those comes out. You see, like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, they were aware of each other. In fact, at one point, you see in the story where Mr. Hyde has actually run over this young girl. And killed her. And you see, right after that, Dr. Jekyll, the respectable doctor, comes in and actually tries to pay the family off for their loss of their daughter. 
See, they know what's going on in each other's lives. But there's times when you and I have those Jekyll and Hyde moments. But most of the time we like to pretend that we're all Dr. Jekyll and no Mr. Hyde. We pretend that that bad part of us is not there. That, that we don't do those things that would get us in trouble. We don't do those things that other people would say, yeah, you know, we probably ought to stay away from that kind of stuff. But the reality is, we all have those two living inside of us. And we talked about it a couple weeks ago. We looked at Romans chapter 8. Paul talks about it in several different places in Scripture. In Romans chapter 8, he calls it living in the flesh versus living in the spirit. And he talks about how we've got a war waging inside of us. We've got our sinful nature, our flesh, that wants to do everything to glorify us. And then if we belong to God, we've got the Holy Spirit in us that wants to do things that glorify God. And those two are at war with each other. And Paul doesn't just talk about it in Romans. He talks about it in Galatians too. And that's where we're going to be tonight. Since you have your Bibles, I don't have to say if you have your Bibles, you have Bibles. Open them up to Galatians chapter 5. If you don't know where it is in the Bible, GE Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, in that order. What's that? That's how I remember that. Mitch taught me that. Hey, it's what I got. You do what you got to do to remember books in the Bible. It's page 834 in your paperback Bible, if you have one. Now, like I said, a lot of us will say, hey, we're the good guy. We're Dr. Jekyll. Nah, I don't really identify with Mr. Hyde very much. But let me ask you this. Has anybody in here ever been guilty of lying? I know, I just farted with my mouth. Did you hear that? How many of you have ever been guilty of lying? Raise your hand. Okay. So those of you, no, keep them up. Keep them up. If you've ever been guilty of lying... Okay, I think we got everybody in here. If you, if you don't have your hand up, you're lying right now. Okay, put them down. Put them down. How about this? How many of you have ever been guilty of stealing something? Okay. Now, now, for those of you, for those of you who don't have your hands up, keep them high if you've, been, if you've stolen something. For those of you who don't have your hands up, let me ask you this. Let me ask you, hey, anybody, anybody here ever downloaded a song without paying for it? Whoa, oh, yeah, okay, guess what? You're a bunch of thieves. That's stealing. Or how about this? How about this? How many of you just keeping your hand up, aren't you? Okay. How many of you, what's that? Okay, if it's supposed to be free, that's not a problem. It's when it's not supposed to be free. Listen to me. Hey, hey, if it's an app that promises free downloads of any song you type in, it's not really free. That's stealing. Okay. How about this one? I love that Justin's not even putting his hand down. How many of you have ever been guilty of cheating? Oh, woo! Yeah, that's me right there. Man. What's that? Anywhere. Specifically in school. Okay, I'm not going to rat you out. Nobody can see your hands. How many of you have ever copied somebody else's homework? Okay. <laughs> wait, wait. Here's what I got to know. 
Put your hands down. How many of you, how many of you are the person that people copy your homework? Okay. Just so you know, that's the same as you cheating. <laughs> wow. Hey, did y'all hear Miss Kathleen? She said, how many of you married that person? She raised her hand. Hey, for the record, for the record. <laughs> I got, okay, I got to tell you a story about that. I got to tell you a story about that. There was, there was a time when she and I were taking some college classes together. And, and I like, I like to sleep where I can. So, she in front of me in class, and I was very crafty at sleeping, but not looking like I was asleep. So then I would copy her notes after class. Is that cheating? Copying notes? No? Oh, we got a split room here. Now, here's what happened. Here's, here's, here's why that didn't happen after one time. <clears throat> Because we took a test based on her notes. And I got a higher score. I beat her on the test by one point. Guess who didn't get to sleep in class and copy notes after that? Me. That was not very nice, was it? No. No, I didn't cheat on my wife. I used her notes to study for the exam. And I got, a, I got one point higher. But hey, guys, after that... She, like, kicked my tail every time, so she had a point to prove, and she proved her point. How about this one? How about this one? What about lusting after somebody? Maybe you've, you've, you've looked at that guy or that girl just as you... <laughs> you've looked at that guy or that girl. <coughs> hey, let me clarify. Let me clarify. Hey, the voice of God. When I say you've looked at that guy or that girl, I mean guys, you've looked at that girl and girls, you've looked at that guy. Hey, I'm just making sure. And you've let your mind wander a little farther than you know it should have gone. Don't, you don't have to raise your hand, even though Justin still has to put his hand down. Put your hand down. Put your hand down. Or how about this one? How about this one? How many of you have ever, like, done everything you can to find out everything there is to know about an athlete or a movie star or a musician to the point that you have posters of them in your room or you post about them on Facebook all the time like MMA fighters? Okay. Or baseball or football or whatever it may be. What's that? No, no, hey, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. I didn't say stalk them, but, but, but you have done that to the point where you spend more time talking to people about them or thinking about them than you have about maybe God. Nobody? Uh, you know, the whole, the whole idol worship thing. See, the reason I asked that, guys, is because when we look at what Scripture says, when we start talking about all of these things, the, the, the sin nature, the flesh versus the Spirit, our natural bent, our natural tendencies are to do those things that we just talked about. That, that's where, when we're born, and until we know Christ, that's where we live. 
Now, we may be good at hiding some of those things, and we may be good at steering ourselves away from some of those things on occasion, but our natural tendency is to go right back to those things. And those are the things that we like to hide from people. Those are the things that we like to pretend that Mr. Hyde in our life doesn't exist, and we just walk around as Dr. Jekyll all the time. When the truth is, they're both right there. And Scripture tells us that those two natures, those two personalities that live in every single one of us, those personalities are at war is the way Scripture describes it. That's the way Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 8. And what we're going to see in Galatians chapter 5 tonight, he talks about it the exact same way. So we're just going to jump right into it. As we go through Galatians 5, there's some very important things that we've got to understand about ourselves that Paul points out. And the first one is this. In Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16, is that we are two people. Every single one of us, if we say that we belong to God, if Jesus Christ has forgiven us of our sins, if we have met that moment in life when we have said, God, I'm a sinner, God, I cannot fix that, God, I need your forgiveness through Jesus Christ's work, death, and resurrection, then we are two people. That's the way Paul describes it. He starts here in verse 16. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the flesh, excuse me, desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Now, we're kind of picking up mid-sentence, mid mid-thought here with Paul. The first 15 verses of this chapter, he's talking about the fact that if you belong to God, you have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. If that describes your life, then you are no longer a slave to the flesh. You no longer have to give in to the desires that draw you away from God because you've been forgiven, because you've been set free from those things. We are free because of the work, life, resurrection of Jesus Christ. But during this time when he wrote this, there were other people who were coming into the church and saying, yes, you've got to have Jesus, but you've also got to have this. It's Jesus and. Instead of just Jesus, it's Jesus and this. Their specific issue was the idea of circumcision. They had teachers telling them that, yes, you can follow Christ, but you also have to do this physical act as well in order to truly be a Christian. And what Paul's saying is, is guys, if, if you walk by the Spirit then then this flesh, this other thing that people are telling you, it doesn't matter. It's all about Christ. What they're telling you you have to do, these old ways that you live, these thoughts, these desires, you don't have to give in to them anymore because you are a new creation in Jesus Christ. And he's reminding him here that there is a struggle. That even though that sin nature is there, when we belong to God, Scripture tells us the Holy Spirit lives within us. And what Paul's describing there, he says that they are opposed, for these are opposed to each other, the spirit and the flesh, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The idea there, I've read two different, two different takes on this. One school of thought is that because, <coughs> because you have the spirit living within you, the spirit fights and you are able to do the things that you would naturally do anyway. And I've heard it the opposite, that because you are a sinful human being, even though the Spirit lives within you, those sinful desires keep you from doing the things that honor God. Well, whichever direction you go, 
it reminds us that our focus is supposed to be on God, not on the things that are of the flesh, not on those things that draw us away from God. And that's different for everybody in this room. You know what it is in your flesh that draws you away from God. You know the tendencies that you have. Whether it's lust or lying or cheating or stealing or pride or laziness or selfishness, and that's just a couple of them. You know what that is, and you know when that battle, when that tug of war starts happening, and Paul is saying here, you need to be aware of that battle and that tug of war. Now understand this, even though that battle rages inside of you every single day, one side's already won. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, when he came back from the grave three days later, the Holy Spirit, God, Jesus, they won that war that rages inside of you. Satan just doesn't realize it yet. Your sin nature, your flesh, those desires that honor you and glorify you, honor me and glorify me, Satan's already lost that battle. But we still have to fight it. We still have to be active in that struggle and understand that it's going on inside of us. It says that we're just supposed to walk in the Spirit. That means we're following God. Now, is anybody in here perfect? No. One or two of you may think you are, but you're not. None of us are. We're not perfect. But to walk in the Spirit means that we are striving to honor God in everything that we do. We will make mistakes. We will. Every single one of us. We're going to say things we wish we hadn't have said. We're going to do things we wish we hadn't have done. We're going to be stupid sometimes and just have brain farts and do things that, man, golly, God, I wish I hadn't have done that again. It's going to happen. But what he's talking about is that even in the midst of those times, it's not if you sit there and just say, God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's how you get up and carry on after God after that point. Yes, we strive not to mess up. We strive not to fall into those same old sins. But we've got to make sure we don't stay there when it happens. We get up and say, God, God, I'm, oh, yeah, I messed up, but I'm still following you. That's what it means when it's talk about walking in the spirit. When it talks about walking in the flesh, that means we're focused on us. What pleases us, what serves us, what matters most to us. And a lot of times when that happens, when we start having that mindset, it's because it's because we are, we are wanting things, we are expecting things in our lives that God doesn't necessarily promise us. Think about it this way. How many of you want to know what's going to happen to you in the future? Want to know where you're going to go to school, who you're going to get married to, where you're going to work, hopefully you're going to have a nice house, have the average of two and a half kids. I don't know how you have half a kid, but that's what it says. We want security. That's what we want. Out of life, out of God, out of this whole Christian walk, what we want is security. We want to know that God is going to take care of us. And yet when we look at Scripture, that's never promised anywhere. We're wanting something that God doesn't guarantee. And let me tell you, that is a hard reality to come to. It is especially when you are married and have children, it's hard. Say, okay, God, now I, I want to know where my kids are going to grow up. I want to know where they're going to go to school. I want to know that they're going to be there. I want some consistency in their lives. And, and God looks at us and says, 
My word doesn't tell you that. It doesn't promise you that. Here's what the word of God does says in James 4, 13 and 15. Or it's 4, 13 through 15. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. Now, some people will read that and tell you, you can't even plan out tomorrow because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. And the truth is, you're not. You all aren't even guaranteed to stay alive through the rest of our time in here tonight. None of us are. I could drop dead right now. Okay, we're good. But that's what Scripture says. Now, is it wrong to want those things? No, it's not wrong to want those things. God puts those desires in us. But there are going to be times when the things that we want don't necessarily line up with the things that God has planned for us. And when we want security and we want assurance of what's going to happen here and what's going to go down there, God says, I'm not making that promise to you. But he does make us this promise. In Jeremiah 29, 11, some of you are probably familiar with this verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Promise of a future and a hope. You see, God does promise to take care of us. God just doesn't necessarily promise to take care of us in the way that we want God to take care of us. When we're living in the flesh, we want God's guarantees. But God doesn't give us guarantees other than the fact that if we will trust him, he will provide for us. And that is a hard truth to live with. It is. Some of you right now, you have no idea where you're going to college. You haven't met your future spouse yet. You don't know where you're going to live, what you're going to do. But you do have the opportunity to follow God and let God lead you into those places. Even though that may be completely 180 degrees from the direction you thought he was going to take you. When, when this was written in Jeremiah... This was written to a people who had taken their focus off of God. The Israelite nation, they had stopped focusing on God and they were looking at God and saying, God, you've forgotten us. God, you haven't kept the promises that you made to us. And he's used, God is using Jeremiah to say, yes, yes, I'm still here. I haven't forgotten you, but the promises and the future that I have for you, it's not necessarily the one you're looking for. You see, that's what we've got to bear in mind. That if we're living in the Spirit, sometimes that means we've got to be open to God's leading, even if it's not in the direction we think it should be. Even if it's not in the direction we think He should go. But, Paul keeps talking here, and he says in verse 18 of chapter 5 of Galatians, he says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. If you are led by the Spirit, even though you struggle with the flesh, if you are led by the Spirit, if you belong to God, you claim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you are no longer under the law. What law is he talking about? What? Sin? Okay. Anybody got anything else? What's that? Ten Commandments? Okay. Does anybody remember in Romans chapter 7 when Paul talked about the law? Nobody? 
Let's read it. Romans chapter 7, verse 9 through 12. It says, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. What Paul is reminding us back in Romans chapter 7 is that you and I, at some point in our life, we didn't know who God was. We didn't know what sin was. We didn't know what was right and wrong. We just lived and everything was okay. But then at some point in time, we became aware of what right and wrong was. For most of you, I'm guessing that's pretty early when your parents told you not to take things that didn't belong to you. When your parents spanked you for lying to them. Yeah, something like that. But you see, up until that point, we didn't know we were doing anything wrong. But Scripture tells us that as soon as we knew that it was a law, as soon as we knew it was a rule, all of a sudden we knew it was wrong. And because we knew it was wrong, we knew there was a penalty for it. And what Paul is talking about here, he's saying there was a point in time before the law came to man. Yes, the Ten Commandments. Before the Ten Commandments came, there were a lot of people that didn't know what they were doing was wrong. But as soon as they came, as soon as they knew God's law, all of a sudden they knew it was wrong and they knew that they were sinning. And Scripture tells us that because of the law, we now know it's a sin, and because of the sin, we deserve death. It says that we're condemned by the law. But this Scripture right here is telling us in uh, Romans, excuse me, in Galatians 5.18, it says you're not under the law. Now, do you still have laws you have to follow every day? Yeah? A lot of you in here drive. There's speed limits. Those are not suggestions. No, that's not an average for the last hour you've been driving. There's a speed limit. It's called a limit, not a speed suggestion. That's a law you're expected to follow. Not on your gas pedal. You still have to pay taxes if you work. If you don't now, you will one day. If you don't do that, you'll go to jail. The law. See, now, we are, hey, we are still under some law, yes. But the law that this is talking about, if we belong to God, if we belong to Jesus Christ, we are no longer condemned for eternity to be separated from God by the law of God. We're not living under it anymore. We're not condemned by it. Yes, we still have the Ten Commandments. Those are still valid today. God still expects us to live in a way that honors Him. But we've been set free from the condemnation that that law brings because we've been forgiven of our sin. That's what Paul's talking about. And he's saying that's, that's the life that we need to remember. That is what he's given us. And in verse 12, he tells us, he makes sure that we understand the problem is not with the law of God. It is in us. He says the law is holy and the law is righteous because God is perfect. And if we've been forgiven, then Galatians 5.18 tells us we are not condemned by that law. We walk in the Spirit. We follow God. We live forgiven and free in Jesus Christ. But even though we live there, that struggle still continues. We still have the desires of the flesh. We still have the sin that's in our body that wants to do things that doesn't honor God, that doesn't bring Him glory. And those, those things, the Spirit and the flesh, they live side by side fighting every single day. Yes, the Spirit is one, but they still fight because Satan doesn't realize he's already lost. 
And Paul keeps talking here. He says in Galatians 5.19, well, he, he actually, he starts breaking this down a little bit. We talked about Mr. Je- or Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Paul actually tells us what those two guys look like inside of us, what those two persons are, those two personalities. And the first one he starts with is Mr. Hyde. He starts with the bad guy. This is what the bad guy looks like in us. This is what the sinful nature, the flesh, desires. Here's what he says in verse 19 of chapter 5. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that's kind of a sobering thought. That everything Paul just listed out right here, that is our natural tendency. That is, that is where left on our own, apart from God, that is the direction that we'll head. Yeah, we can be good to a point, but given time, we're going to go down this road. How many of you this last week saw at least one of these at school in some form or fashion? And you've only been at work for, or school for three days. Yeah, it is work. You're right. You see, we see it, guys, because it's everywhere. It's even there in the church. You can go to any given church on any given Sunday morning or Wednesday night, and you can see some of these things. Because there are people everywhere who are living in the flesh. And as Paul goes through here, if you notice, the way he groups these things together he, he actually gives us some categories of these sins, of these issues that he's talking about. The first couple that he names, the, the first three there, they're actually sexual sins. He says sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Now, let me start right here. Sex is a great thing because that is how God designed it. God designed it for intimacy and marriage. God designed it to be pleasurable. God designed it to produce children. That is God's design for sex, and He designed that in the context of marriage. Yet everywhere you look, you see sex being used in every possible way outside of marriage. You see, just like anything that God creates that is good, we as human beings can very quickly and very easy take it and twist it and make it into something that God didn't really intend it for. And you see it everywhere. You may see it at school. You may see it in movies, TV, music, your phones. It's everywhere. Pornography, prostitution, the way people dress. We see it played out. And Paul's saying, guys, we've got, we've got to be aware of this because this is not how God designed this. God gave us a gift, and we've got to remember that it's a gift, and it's a great thing when it's used in the context that God gave it to us in. But when we take it out of that context, man, things get messed up real quick. I can't even begin to tell you (laughs) the regret that people have had, people I have talked to that have had from having sex outside of marriage. It breaks my heart because it, it, it just does things to your mind. And it's hard to come back from that. That doesn't mean you can't. God forgives. And you can say, you know what, from this day forward, that's not me anymore. 
I'm waiting for God's plan. I'm waiting for God's design. That's what he encourages us to do, is to follow him. That is where the flesh versus the spirit plays out on a daily basis. Then he groups the next couple here. In fact, it's the next, excuse me, the next two have to do with worship. He says, idolatry and sorcery. In other words, worship of the creation and not the creator. When we take what God intended, worship, and we take that focus off of God and we put it on anything else, it's not what God intended. And when we start doing that, we start forgetting about God and the flesh starts taking over. That's why we've got to be so careful about where we spend our time and what we give our attention to. And we all do it in different ways. Maybe it's a sport. Maybe it's a band, an actor, a friend, a car. We all give our attention to something if we decide to follow something instead of following God. And we've got to be aware of that struggle that's going on in us. He goes on here and he groups the next group. He says the next, it's actually the next eight The next eight things that he talks about deal with how we interact with other people. It says enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. Every single one of these have to do with how we interact with other people. Now, understand this. There are always going to be people in your life that just get under your skin. That you wish... You would not get in trouble for if you just knocked him upside the head with both fists at one time. But guys, that's the desire of the flesh. Yes, you're going to have people you don't like. Yes, you're going to have people that you have a really hard time to get along with. But when we start following the flesh instead of the spirit, that dislike begins to fester. And all of a sudden we start seeing the anger and the enmity and the strife and the jealousy, and the rivalry, and we start seeing the flesh played out instead of what the Spirit has called us to. And guys, I know right now that that is hard to do. Believe me, I know it's hard to not dislike that person in your life that you really don't like. And maybe that's your struggle. But we have an opportunity to seek God in that matter. And see how God plays that out. And then he finishes his list off with the last two here. He says, <laughs> he says, drunkenness and orgies and things like these is what he adds on there. Now, this basically rounds it out by dealing with alcohol. That's what Paul's talking about. Now, nowhere in Scripture does it say drinking alcohol is wrong. It doesn't say that. It does tell us not to be drunk on wine. And when it says wine, it doesn't just mean wine. It means any other alcohol you can get your hands on. But to be drunk on the Spirit. In other words, be filled up with God, not with other stuff. But he specifically talks about drunkenness because when we start messing around with alcohol, we start losing self-control. And you get drunk. And then that drunkenness starts to lead to other things when he talks about it. That's why he groups orgies with drunkenness. Because with alcohol and use of it comes a lack of inhibition. And you will start saying things and thinking things and doing things that you would not do in a normal state of mind. That's why he goes on and says, and things like these, because there's a whole slew of other things we could talk about. No, is it wrong to drink? Scripture doesn't say that. Is it wrong for you to drink? Yes, because none of y'all are in here 21. Let's throw that down right now. 
And remember this, every authority is appointed by God. So the governmental authority that tells you you can't drink till 21, God put it there. Whether you like it or not, God put it there. But he's telling us that, guys, because when we start messing around with those things that gratify and desire and gratify the desires of our flesh, those things lead us into areas that they're going to cause trouble for us. And that that is what this bad guy looks like. That is where that is where we go when we're left on our own, when we live in the flesh. Think about that for a second, guys. That's who we are by nature. All of those things that Paul just named. I don't know about you guys, but I don't really like me as that person. I'm not really fun to be around. Miss Kathleen can tell you, there's times where I've not been nice, or I've been angry, or I've been selfish, and I'm not really a nice person to be around when I'm like that, am I? No, you can, you can shake your head. Yeah, okay. Answer. Honesty here. What's that? Okay. That's our natural bent, but that's not the way God designed us to live. That's not what he intended for us. In fact, what he intended for us is not the Mr. Hyde, it's the Dr. Jekyll. It's the good guy. And I know some of y'all in here are like, man, I don't want to be a good guy. I want to be a bad guy because I'm bad. No, you're not. You're stupid. That's not the guy you want to be. And I'm talking to you ladies too, okay? Because I, I, I know I'm saying guy, but ladies, this applies to you too. Yeah, I, I, I like the, what you got going on there. You, you doing all right? Yeah, I see you. Let's look at the good guy. Let's look at Dr. Jekyll. Let's look at how Scripture describes him in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these or against such things there is no law. Do you catch, do you catch what Paul just said there? When he's talking about all these things, about the bad guy, about Mr. Hyde, he said, these are, all of these go against the law of God. But the good guy, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's no law against these. Because this is how God wants us to live. This is what God designed for our lives. In John chapter 15, you know, we, we, we read this and this is called the fruit of the Spirit. That's what a lot of people refer this, to this as. And we read a week or so ago in John chapter 15 where Scripture describes Jesus Christ as a vine and we are the branches. And apart from that vine, we produce no fruit. Fruit of the Spirit. See, guys, Scripture, it all weaves together. If you read it in context, as you take it as a whole, it all comes together when we're talking about who God is and what He designed for us. And you talk about a turnaround right here from the previous verses that we talked about. This is what God, this is what characterizes who God wants us to be. This is who God intended us to be. Not these mean, nasty, drunk, weird people, but people that love Him, people that follow Him, people that interact with other people in ways that honor Him. And if you actually sit down and read through these different things, you see where the characteristics, the fruit of the Spirit, actually contradict every single thing Paul said earlier. For instance, if you have self-control, then sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, drunkenness, orgies, those will not define your life because you are able to control yourself. 
self-control. You all know how to use it. We all know how to use it. But it's a matter of whether or not we choose to use self-control. But when we have self-control, guys, it contradicts some of these other things. When he talks about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, every single one of these work against our tendencies to be bogged down in enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy. You may have problems with other people, but those problems can be addressed when you're following God and the Spirit is working in your life instead of the flesh working in your life. Because the Spirit will conquer the flesh every single time. Guys, if you look, when Jesus Christ was tempted, we are all tempted. When Jesus Christ was tempted face to face by Satan, what did he do? He quoted Scripture. Then he prayed. <laughs> he quoted Scripture. He was able to quote Scripture, guys, because he was living in the Spirit. And you say, well, but he was Jesus. He was God. He could do that. But you know what? He was physical just like we are. He had a body. Scripture tells us that he was tempted in every way that we are tempted. And you may think, no, there's no way Jesus was tempted in the way I've been tempted. In every way is what Scripture says, that we've been tempted. And yet, because the Spirit was working in his life, instead of the flesh working in his life, he was able to honor God and resist that temptation. That's what the Spirit does. And he goes on here and he says, faithfulness, faithfulness, I, I pretty much guarantee that's going to contradict idolatry and sorcery. Because if you are faithful to the God that you claim as your Lord and Savior, creator of the universe, if you are faithful to him, those other things aren't going to tempt you. You're not going to go chasing after idols. You're not going to go messing around in sorcery and horoscopes. Just stepped on somebody's toes in this room. But that's kind of what that is. That's trying to figure out the future, and Scripture tells us God's the only one that knows the future. Yeah. Cancer, Aries, Sagittarius, all those things. What's that? Because I have knowledge. Or as I tell my sons, because I'm awesome. Just, hey, just so, for you all, when your kids, when you grow up and your kids start, or when your kids grow up and they start asking you, you know, how did you do this? Because they don't understand it. You just look at me and you say, because I'm awesome. That's what I tell my kids. The other day, it was about three weeks ago, Nathan looks at me. He was asking me a question. He goes, okay, Dad, I know you're awesome, but I have a question for you. That's what I'm going for right there. But you see, guys, Scripture tells us that if we will... If we will follow God, then the Spirit will work in our lives. And as the Spirit works in our lives, we begin to see this fruit of the Spirit. And that fruit of the Spirit, that fruit of the Spirit will guide us away from the things of the flesh. Now, I understand things of the flesh, they can be fun. Sin is fun. If it wasn't, we wouldn't want it. But it doesn't honor God. So the question becomes, when you look at the Dr. Jekyll and you look at the Mr. Hyde that lives within you, which one do you choose? Because it is a choice. Look at how Paul finishes this in verse 24. He says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh 
with its passions and desires. Paul reminds us right here that the life that we live, the nature that we nurture in ourselves is a choice. Whether we follow the flesh or we follow the spirit, we decide which way we go. We chase after God or we chase after everything else. And the, the, the picture, the image that he gives us here, it's, it's very graphic. Because he says right here, those who belong to Christ, you have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If you've been around church for any length of time at all, you've heard about this idea of crucifixion. Where they would take people, this is what they did to Christ, and they would lay them on wood, and they would put a nail, it says, through the hand. But the reality is, during that time, the wrist was considered part of the hand, because if you put a nail here between the fingers, it's going to rip out. So the nails would go here, just below the wrist, where the bones are going to hold it in place. And they would do that to both. And then, they would take the feet and cross them over, and put a nail through the middle of your feet. So that as you're hanging on a cross, your arms would be done in such a way that as you're slumped down, it becomes hard to breathe. So in order to get a breath, you've got to pull yourself up with your hands and push yourself up with your feet by the nails in order to get a breath. And as excruciating as that was, you couldn't stay there for very long. So you would slump back down until it was hard to breathe again. And eventually, you would suffocate in your own fluids in your body. That's, that's the image that Paul uses right here. He says right here, in the moment that your sins were forgiven, in the moment that Jesus Christ said, you are mine, in that moment you made a choice to crucify the flesh. But the flesh didn't die. The flesh is still hanging on that cross. We know that because we struggle. Because we still fight against sin. Because we still have those same old desires that would draw us away from God. Today, they probably still try to draw you away from God. That sin, that flesh is hanging there on that cross and it is constantly calling each one of us saying, take me down and give me life. And we have to make a choice. Do we follow God? Do we leave the flesh where it is and listen to God instead of that dying flesh? Or do we turn around and say, God, no thanks. Take that flesh off the cross and do what it wants. That's my question for you tonight. In that book, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Dr. Jekyll finally had to come to a decision. And he understood that the only way the bad part of him was going to die is if all of him died. And he killed himself. Now, I am not telling you go kill yourself physically. It's not what I'm saying. But if the flesh, if the desires, the things that draw you away from God, if you really want them to die, then you've got to give them to God. You've got to kill them. You've got to leave them on that cross and you've got to walk away. That doesn't mean you won't hear them screaming your name 20 years down the road. But you have the choice to walk away from them and have the fruit of the Spirit and live with Dr. Jekyll instead of Mr. Hyde. The question is, which one of those do you want to do tonight? Which one's going to win out in your life?
tonight, tomorrow, this weekend when you're hanging out with your friends, which one wins? Because whichever one wins, that's who you're chasing after. And I challenge you, I pray that you're chasing after the right one. Let's pray, guys.